Please take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You see, we have a, just a section of this scripture, but we're going to go back to verse 1 and read this entire passage together because it's being considered really as a passage. Uh, verses 1 through 8, you need to get the, the gist, the feel for all of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 8. If you'll remember, Paul has finished now his encouragement and enters into a time of instruction with the people at Thessalonica. He loves them dearly. He loves us dearly. And he wants us to walk in sanctification, specifically in this passage, in purity. Verse 1, chapter 4. Finally, Then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are actually doing, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, in this matter, Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives us his Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you and praise you that you give us your word. We thank you and praise you that you give us your your precious Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us, and not just in a general way. You are very, very specific with us. As a loving father would sit, sit his son or daughter down and say, sweetie, son, This is what I want you to know. This is important. Lord, that's what you do with us. Father, I've prayed this week, cry out to you today to give us understanding of your word. May your Holy Spirit do the work that only he can do. I understand, Lord, that the word must be proclaimed, but you, O God, are the one who will bring about the effect of the word upon the lives of people. So help us. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I pray that it would move uh, in such a way that it would penetrate our hearts and that you might see fruit born as a result of our time together today. Lord, I want to pray for those who have been in harm's way with the recent hurricane. I know that they're still literally picking up the pieces. Pray for them. Pray for those who have gone to help them. And God, that you would do your work. Lord, this did not take you by surprise. You have a plan and a purpose just like you do in everything. Uh, Lord, we thank you for that. 
And again, we pray for our beloved Melissa, who is traveling even today as we are meeting together back to be on the mission field where she loves and is loved by those people. So, Father, we thank you and pray now that you give us fresh understanding. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I simply have to go back and review and just kind of bring you up to to speed with where we are in the whole scheme of things. Last week, we, we really said one thing that everyone needs to hear. Everybody needs, and I'm talking about Christians now, we're always, always talking, unless I say otherwise, to those who have, who, who have decided to follow Christ, but we as believers in, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to make it our priority to pursue, remember this, everything that pleases God. Now, Saying that, it is important that I, I, I give a, a, a little bit of comfort in the beginning of this sermon. And here is my exhortation to you. No matter where you are, no matter what age you are, always, not only in this particular matter, but in everything, start where you are. Above all, We want these messages to be absolutely redemptive. And if we talk about something that along the way is guilt-inducing, which this subject has the capacity to do this, then just remember if you are a follower of Christ that you are under the power of the cross. You know, this didn't start with this exhortation to be pure. It started back in chapter 1 where he said, look, I know what God has done in your life. You turned from idols. You turned from the lifestyle that went with idolatry, and you turned to God to, to worship and serve the living and the true God. I love these couple of verses, and, and, and this is an encouragement that some people right here today need to hear. Now, there's a lot here in this verse, and by the way, I've got a lot of verses to give you today. So if you can't get them all written down, see me afterwards or email me and I can get those to you because everyone is important. Now, this this is chocked full of meaning. And we'll come back to this today and then next week, uh, the Lord willing, do not be deceived. You need to hear this. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, that's not all Paul mentions in this passage, but he starts out with the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not the most important thing I want you to see from this. The most important thing I want you to see is right there in that third line, and such were some of you. Isn't that great encouragement? Paul says that even if you have fallen in this area, that's in the past tense, okay? Someone has said you can't go back and make a new start, but you can start right now, and you can create a brand new beginning. Paul says in Philippians 3, we don't have it up there on the screen, but he says this, I I tell you what I do with my life, guys. He said, I forget what lies behind. 
and I strain forward to what lies ahead, that whole issue of pleasing God. He says this, he reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians, that if we are in Christ, we are new creations. We are new creatures in Christ. Look at this. The old is dead. It has passed away. And the news come. And then again, by way of encouragement, and I, I don't know of any subject more than the subject of purity and, and immorality and, and all of that, that that induces the feeling when a preacher gets up and starts, they say, uh-oh. But folks, there's a promise with the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. He goes back to the book of Joel. He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming oak locusts have eaten. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to undo all of the consequences of things that you have done in your life, but if you will let him, he will always use it redemptively. So this is where I want to start with this subject, the priority of of purity, because the, the, this is the priority for everything, the chief end and purpose of man. God gives His law. His law is good. His law defines the boundaries for our protection and our provision, as well as for His glory, and He gives His don'ts as a means of telling us that He loves us. What? Parent, if there was a, 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 something on a hot stove, a pan of boiling water, and they saw their toddler walking over and reaching up for that handle, what parent would not scream, no, don't? When God gave us his laws, his good laws, that's what he's doing. And this is one of those that says, don't commit adultery. Now, I, I've given this out. I just did the new members class. We had a really good group in the new members class, and one of the things as we walk through the gospel, I always give them, uh, I try to give them always a sheet that has the ten-finger method of memorizing the Ten Commandments. And, and I ask them usually, I don't want a show of hands, but I say, uh, you know, over and over again, I've asked this in congregations, how many of you, not verbatim, not word for word, but how many of you could tell me in order all of the Ten Commandments? There are only ten. And the reason I don't ask for a show of hands in a group of adults like this is that mm, chances are a lot of people would be embarrassed. I would have been. But I came across a little thing. I think it, Katie was just a little little gal when I brought it home. The ten-finger method of remembering the Ten Commandments. And so, Katie, do you still remember it? You want to stand up and give a... No, okay. <laughs> you need to get that sheet if you don't have it. Adele, you, where are you? You're right back there. Did you memorize them this week? You, you, okay, good. She can do it. See, one God. No other gods before me. No idols. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, a day of worship. Honor your father and mother. You remember these, don't you? Don't commit murder. What's the seventh commandment? Do not commit adultery. Now, that, that's because this looks like a V for virgin. Don't. And by the way, what does God mean by that? That's just a little, that's a little box. Don't commit adultery. You know, the problem with morality is there are a lot of people in churches who say, okay, if I just don't do the don't, 
then maybe I can do some of the other things that surround that. But, but Jesus blows that out of the water. Because, and it's not just a New Testament thing, it's an Old Testament thing. It's not just don't commit adultery, it's be pure. And, and then he adds something else. Why? Because God is pure. See, the hope of the, look at this, the hope of the Christian is not just going to heaven when you die. It's being like him. I've had so many impure things in my life. I am looking forward to that time when I will never, ever again have another impure thought. Because I'm going to see him as he is. Now, here's the thing, though. That's, that's then, but this is now. Everyone who has this hope, Christian, we're going to come back and talk about this next week, and we're going to hit on this a little bit. The immoral are not going to be in heaven. So everyone who has the hope of heaven is doing something right now. You are doing something, and if you aren't, you either need to get saved or you need to be rattled enough to say, I didn't realize that I need to be pursuing purity. Everyone who has this hope of eternity in him purifies himself, present tense, just as he is pure. And that goes way beyond moralism. See, the problem with moralism, you know what it does? I don't, look, parents, you do not want to raise Pharisees, right? Who just follow the rules and are moral. Moralism will either breed self-condemnation because you, you know you can never live up to the standard if you understand, be pure. And so it'll breed self-condemnation. A lot of Christians live with that and they're just silent about it and they beat themselves up and they never go to the cross and find out that there are ways to deal with that. Or the other thing that it breeds, you will deny that you have a problem with it or other things. Moralism breeds judgmentalism and we don't want that either. You see, if you understand the pursuit of purity, and I'm putting it in positive terms, if you, un students, if you understand median age, old people, okay, found one, found a couple. <laughs> if you understand the pursuit of purity, you will never, ever again ask the question, how far can I go? because you're pursuing purity. How pure is God? By the way, you know, there are some of us older guys and, and women maybe, and we feel like that in this, in, it's bigger than this, but we're focusing on this because Paul is. And it's a good thing. And no matter how old you get, you never stop pursuing purity. Again, I go back and ask the question, why? Because how, how pure is God? Have you reached the level of his purity yet? Have you? Have you reached your final destination? No, I don't think so. And that's why he says in this passage that I read, by the way, I left my Bible at home. You might have noticed that English Standard Version. So I had to pull my copy of the New American Standard off my shelf and read from it. Did you notice that? 
And so I love the way the New American Standard says, whatever, whatever you have achieved in your purity, your pursuit of a purity, and if you ain't pursuing a, a, a purity, then again, we need to go back and re-examine that. But whatever level you've reached, you haven't arrived. No matter how old you get or how young you are. That is so vitally important. Excel still more. I believe, and several of you have we have seen this, and you believe it too, that we will continue to learn about God through eternity. Through eternity. We're not going to reach a level where we know it all about God because He is he's eternal. We will always, through eternity, learn of Him. Now, look at the first thing, verse 3. Knowing and doing God's will is the most important thing you can know and do. I, this is a mystery. And when I talk to people through the years, when I've talked to brothers and sisters in Christ, they have several questions that are probably grouped right at the top. And one of the biggest questions that people ask is, Pastor Marty, how, how, can, how can I know God's will for my life? It may be a student who's wondering, you know, which school do I go to? What classes do I take? What, what, if I go to university or do I go to work? Or, you know, what about dating this person? And what about marriage? And all the rest of that. Or maybe some of you looking for a career change or any number of things. One of the questions that I am asked most commonly is, how do I know God's will? Now, let me, I, I'm going to give you some things from a little booklet not going to give the whole booklet, but John MacArthur wrote a booklet several years ago called Found God's Will. And he listed five things, and I looked at it and I said, that's good, but I added a couple of more. Now, John MacArthur always alliterates. Have you ever noticed, if you've studied anything, he always starts all of his points with the same letter and I don't know how he does that. He, he just, uh, it would take me hours to do that. But I'm going to give those to you in just a moment. But first, let me say this. The will of God is not, okay, it's not like you're flying along in life in your aircraft, and God is the air traffic controller who ever once in a while breaks in and says, okay, take this heading or take that heading. I think that that's what we think the will of God is. The will of God is a relationship. The, the will of God is something that grows out of who we are and our knowing the, the, the word of God. I, I think, and I hope this is not you, Please listen to this phrase carefully because we, we don't want this. There are times when people will say, Lord, I really want to know your will. But deep inside, they're thinking, so I can see if it's what I want to do. Don't look at the will of God like that. It's wanting... To, to know, in terms of pleasing God, what are the things that I need to have? Okay, let me give these to you, and if you can jot these down real quickly, they all start with an S, so you can write seven S's down under that first three, and then we're going to fill in the blanks. You ready? Here we go. 
God's will, and always, every one of them starts with the same thing. Now, we're talking about God's will. We're going to get into the sanctification and morality. There's a lot of stuff today, but it's important because first you need to know about God's will. It is always God's will that people be saved. Do we believe in the, God, uh, the sovereignty of God and salvation? Absolutely we do. Does that limit God's heart to save people for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Absolutely, it does not. God, now I put this up there in a way that to me is theologically correct. It is God's will that God's people be saved. It's good and pleasing in his sight. By the way, one of the things that's coming up in September, if you haven't heard, Dave Robinson is going to be with us about the middle of September, and he's going to be sharing with us about lifestyle evangelism. And I am so looking forward to it. I hope everyone in this body will take advantage of that and that we will learn how to share the gospel. You know, this church has a lot of strengths. Somebody asks, well, what are your strengths? And I can click them off. One of the things, if you ask me, what are, what's, what's a weakness? And I would say probably personal evangelism. Now, not, there are people out here who do personal EV. No question about that. But as a church family, and we need to realize that it is God's will that people be saved. So that's the starting point. Somebody says, I want to know God's will for my life. Are you a follower of God? Have you been saved? Second thing, it is God's will that God's people be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. There's a great quote over here on the left side by Sinclair Ferguson. And this is good. I thought, um, and again, I, I think of all of us, but many times I think particularly of our students, of our younger people, because I know that I, I really struggled with a lot of these things when I was your age. And so I, this would be a good reminder to all of us. Look at this quote about the fact that the Spirit lives inside of us, okay? If you're a believer, sometimes we say that the, the, uh, the, that the principle by which any action can be judged is, can I take Christ there? There is truth in that, but it is not the whole truth. For Paul emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 6.15, we have no choice in the matter. We do take Christ there. As those who are united to him, we cannot leave him behind. So the real question is, can I take Christ there and then look him in the face without shame? That would so radically alter a lot of the things going on in your life. Is this the course of action? This decision that I'm taking, totally consistent with my personal confession that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Now, with being filled with the Spirit, here's another one. Being saturated with the Word. Saturated. I had to put an S there, so saturated with the Word. But that's exactly what Paul says in, in, in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So be saved, be filled with the Spirit, be saturated with the word. Now, are you hearing where this is going? 
man, you got a pretty good start there on knowing and doing the will of God, but let's go on. It is God's will for God's people that we be sanctified. That's the verse today. Now, let me explain this word real quickly. Sanctified means set apart. Holy is another word. We're looking at one component of that sanctification. You and I, listen, Christian, you and I, by definition, are not only saved, we should be spirit-filled, we should be saturated with the Word, and then we should be sanctified, set apart unto God, just like the Thessalonians were. They once were set apart unto their own passions. He says this in this passage, but now they're set apart unto God. If you say yes to God, you will really never have to worry about saying no to anything else. If you say yes to purity, then you're not going to have to worry about the impurity. D do you catch my meaning? When Jan and I dated, I had the opportunity to date a lot of different girls, but once I stood before the preacher and I said, I make a commitment to you, and she made a commitment to me, saying yes to her by definition made me say no to every other woman who was alive. Set apart, sanctified unto him. Let's use another word. God will that people be Submitted, I know that that is a word that has a lot of baggage with it, but it is clear. Submitted to God, that's the first part of this, and then submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you realize that we're talking about a, a culture that is unsaved, and we can't take things that apply to Christians and just overlay them onto culture? But just take this one thing, if somehow we could get the people in our culture, and in every culture, to do this one thing, to submit to God, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. You realize how we could eradicate? We should be able in the church, because you are Christians and you see this, and so we should be able to eradicate the, the problems in relationships, problems in families. Problems in, in, in marriages, and, and you could just go on and on, even interchurch relationships. Wow, that is huge. Now, this is also something that grows out of Ephesians 5 that says, be filled with the Spirit. I was talking to Jonathan earlier this week. He got a big smile on his face. Yes, that's good. Put that in. It is God's will for God's people to sing. God, God loves it when his people sing praises to him. I won't park on that for a long time. It's just God's will. It's God's will that God's people be socially connected. Now, I know that we have a, a difficult time, and there are people right now, even among you, that are listening live stream, and you can't. You really can't come. You want to. You ache to, but you can't right now. But it is always God's design that his people are together, whether large group, small group, that they are enacting Re, they're, they're acting together, interacting, understanding what the will of the Lord is, addressing one another, singing, admonishing one another. 
Of course, we've seen this a lot in the past. Peter says this, it's God's will that God's people suffer. Not to go out and look for it, but just live the life submitting to Christ and the suffering from the world will come. And then the last one is simply this, saying thanks. It's God's will that people say thanks. So, okay, you've got a situation in your life and you're wondering, what is God's will for me? If you go through all of these steps asking what would please God, you've got it. Had people, just one example, I, I've had people come to me and ask me, they've been dating a young man, a young woman, and that, that young man or young woman is not a Christian. And they've dated them, they've gotten emotionally involved, sometimes physically involved. Then they come to me and they want to know, do you, do you think it might be God's will that I, I could marry this person? Maybe they'll become a Christian later on. And I said, well, let's just, you know, walk through these. Are you saved? Yes. Are you filled with the Spirit? Spirit Spirit-filled. Filled with the Word. Stop right there. What does the Word say about being unequally yoked, even in dating with a non-believer? And you've got your answer. So the, the thing about this is it's not just a theological thing. It is absolutely so practical. So here's the thing. Go through all of this, seek to please the Lord, and just do whatever's in your heart. I, I can say that, and it's true. These are all things. By the way, there are many other things in the Scripture that please God, but knowing and doing the will of God, that really, really does. Let's go to the next thing, the next part, uh, the second thing under verse 3. A vital component of God's will is sanctification. Do you guys understand that? We've already defined it. Sanctification, you're set apart for holy things. And he says right now, specifically your purity. Why? Why of all of the things that God, that, that, that God could tell Paul to write, does he select this one? Specifically, this is the will of God, your sanctification, specifically, that you abstain, he puts it in the negative, you abstain from sexual immorality. The positive is that you pursue purity. I have looked at this and looked at it. I don't really understand all of it, but I think I do have some things that I want to share with you today and then next week. Here's the first thing. In the New Testament, impurity, sexual immorality tops almost, there's one exception, almost every list of sins. All right. Now, did you guys know that there are different lists of sins in the New Testament? Paul is not a negative person. He's not a captain bring down or whatever. He's just, the reality is you want to grow. You want to grow in sanctification. Here are the things that you need to leave behind. These were a part of your old lifestyle. You're a new person in Christ. That's just common sense. So let's look at a couple of those. Originally, I had so many slides, and I kind of consolidated them, but I want you to see. You you can just write down some of the references. Romans 1, we're going to come back to this, and we've already looked at it. The problem is people, everybody who's been born, exchanges the truth of God for a lie. 
They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So you're either an idolater, which basically is self-worship, or you worship and serve the true God. And what is the result of that that Paul really writes a lot about? We're going to come back to that next week. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to, watch this, impurity. Now, this is just a grouping. 1 Timothy 9, uh, 1 is the only place where it's not listed first. In every other list of these sins, it says something basically like this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I said this a minute ago. And what tops the list? The sexually immoral? And then he goes on. I, I, it says that in every one of the lists. Everyone has it because it is important, but only one doesn't put it at the very, as the very first thing. And here's why. This is one reason why it's important, because you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. If you're sexually immoral, you will not inherit. The wrath of God comes. You will be destroyed by your destruction. Your portion will not be with those in heaven, but will be with those in the lake that burns. In other words, the second death. Is there, is there any wonder why, if, if this is true, all right, man, this, is this true? We believe this book is true. Then it is so important we say that our culture is more sin so or sex-soaked than any other. I, I really don't think so, but we are our culture. And, and this is why we have to, what did Paul say? Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. In fact, let's just look at a couple of those. Your sojourners and your exiles on this world abstain from the passion of, of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is important to know. This is an inside job. Flee from sexual immorality. The sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Now, think with me. Would you agree that all sin is bad? There seems to be something different about sexual immorality, and there is. Let me define sexual immorality for you, okay? Impurity is another word. Hear it well. And, and when, when I first say this, you're going to automatically think I'm speaking to just this group or anybody who is unmarried. Sexual immorality is when two people... act like they're married when they're not married. Now you say, well, that's just for those who are unmarried. No, it's not. It's for people who are married too. Immorality is, for example, in marriage, if you're acting like you're married with another person that you're not married to, that is sexual immorality. You're committing a sin against your own body. You are involving others. It's serious stuff. 
So what are we saying? God reserves. Now, now listen, and, and we, we, all need, we all need this. God reserves certain looks. Men, do you understand what I'm saying? Women, do you understand what I'm saying? God reserves certain looks and touches and other intimacies for marriage between a man and a woman. An impurity or sexual immorality that we are to flee from is not being faithful to marriage. You see how this can refer to immorality before marriage or within marriage or immorality in an unbiblical marriage? Are there unbiblical marriages today? God does not hate sex. He created it. And because He created it, He designed the perfect place for it to be expressed. Marriage. One man, one woman. Do I need to say anything further about that? Biologically, one man, one woman joined together as husband and wife in a committed covenant marriage. God defines it. Any of you ever played the dictionary game? Uh, we played it before there was a board game called the dictionary game. You know how we played it? We got a dictionary. This is really a great game. And so the object of the game is to, if it's your turn, if it's my turn, I'm going to find the most obscure word that I can. Now, don't play with somebody like Rocky Hales or somebody else who's a wordsmith because you're looking at it saying, nobody's going to know that word and Rocky will know it. So you find a word that's really obscure and you make up a definition and then you distribute it and everybody goes around and you, you, you make up your own definition, then you've all got to guess. It, it really is a fun game until you start playing the dictionary game with Bible truth. For several thousand years, many thousands of years, the biblical definition of marriage is stood. In fact, back in, I wrote down, August the 21st, 1996, President Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act. Some of you remember that? That, that, was, that was incredible, which specifically used a biblical definition. Marriage is defined as one man, one woman living together in a legal marriage contract. Now, we say covenant. In less than 20 years, they played the dictionary game. It's been redefined. The Supreme Court. Now, if you're, if you're going to blame it, let me just tell you the progress of this. It is a 19-year chipping away, not through just the Supreme Court, but through lower courts, state courts, legislatures. Redefined, 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 redefined. And we've come up to where 
That which is called an abomination in the Bible is now called good and acceptable. Any inappropriate relationship, I'm talking about intimacy, outside of marriage is a violation of God's good and holy gift. It's almost like God in his word, now I know what some of you are thinking, then why is all this happening? But God is, God's talking to us. It's been like this, it's going to be like this till he comes back. It's almost like God has written a no trespassing sign for our protection and our provision over every man and woman, young or old, in this congregation who is not your husband or your wife. Does that, does that make sense? I was talking to my son or daughters when they were younger or my grandchildren. I would say, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God is not the great spoiler. He, he's doing this to protect you. He's doing this for your provision so that you can walk with him. So, Walking in purity means true love waits. It really does. And that true love abstains from anything that does not please God in terms of physical intimacy. And remember, it's not just not doing certain things. It is striving to please God in everything you do or say or think toward the opposite sex. Now, why is it such a big deal? When I do premarital counseling and I talk about marriage and the purposes of marriage, I tell people I can boil it down for you in three words. And you've probably heard this, but I use these three words. They kind of rhyme. You ready for them? This is another list. Second list. I've got a third list, but it's coming hard on the heels of this. Okay. God designed marriage for procreation. At the very beginning, he brought the man and woman together. He married them off. He... Creation is such a neat thing. After every day of creation, he said, man, that's good. That's good. And then he came to man and he said, that's not good that man lives alone. And so I'll create the perfect counterpart. And then he gave the procreation mandate. Do you realize this was the initial mandate, the primary mandate? There is no other way to have children other than men and women, no matter if you Take them out of the body or not. Procreation is given as design by God. Second one is this. So that sounds rather, rather utilitarian. And there, there was a day, trust me, there was a day when you just got married and the only reason to get married was to have kids. But God said, no, 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 no. I've got a lot more. Marriage was designed for recreation. For mutual enjoyment, I'm not trying to, to bring this down, God has blessed the marriage covenant. He wants it to be enjoyed. Look at this that he says in Proverbs, let, the fountain, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife or the husband of your youth. Be intoxicated always with his or her love. Wow. Places a high value. But the last purpose, and this is where we get into the importance, I believe, of, of why 
Paul puts this as a matter of importance in the whole New Testament, that marriage is a matter not just of procreation and recreation, but also demonstration. You see, marriage defines the relationship and describes the marriage relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. And if you do anything to violate that, guess what? You ruin the picture. I, I use this as an illustration in premarital counseling. Some of you have been in my premarital counseling, and you'll, you'll remember. I hope you remember this. I hope you remember something I said. But I'll usually ask the question of, of uh, usually I ask the husband. I'll say, um, let, me sh- let me show the, uh, the importance of it. Would it bother you if your wife lied to you? Mike and Bailey, did I ask you guys that? Do you remember this? Yeah, you do? Okay. Would it bother you? Well, well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the commandments. That's a violation of the commandment. Yeah, it would bother me if she lied to me. And then I say, would it bother you more or less if she had an affair? I've never had a husband who said, eh, about the same they look at me with wide eyes and they say, well, yeah. And I ask the question, why? What I hear commonly is, aren't all sins the same? No. The penalty for all sin is the same, but all sins obviously are not the same. And that's why I always inject that picture, Christ in the church, and why God does not want a violation of that. There is not one one example in all of Scripture where God advocates or celebrates physical intimacy outside of a marriage relationship between a husband, male, and a wife, female. Not one. Ah. So let's get to the last thing. Let me, let me just give you some things. Wow, I, I hope I have your attention. You're very quiet. Uh, this is just, and you know, it would be good for you to go home and have a roundtable discussion on, on a level that's appropriate for your kids and grandkids and all the rest of that. These are things to start talking about. It's God's plan. And, and hopefully you can get this implanted in their hearts. So let me just give you as a wrap-up, you can and you must live a life of purity. Let me reverse those two. You must, and you can. There are some people who say, it can't be done, but I'm telling you, it absolutely can. Okay? Here here are about one, two, three, four, five, four things that I'm going to give you. Grow right out of this passage of Scripture, and verse 5 gives a hint. He talks about, don't go back to the way you were as the Gentiles. They don't know God. So what's the key to to being able to live a life of purity? Knowing God. I love John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the best thing you can do is to know God. 
I love Psalm 1611, because knowing Him, He really is the sum and the source of all true pleasure. You have made known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forever, not with the cheap substitutes of the world. He is the one. Second thing, make a commitment. Romans 13 is a great passage for this. Cast off. At some point, you just got to make, you've got to make a commitment. Now, you're going to get help, and we're going to talk about that through the Holy Spirit. But as a Christian, make a commitment to sexual purity. If you've never made the commitment, do it now. Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. He just lumps a bunch there. Now watch this. And he goes on to say, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What did I just say? No God. No Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I don't know this person's name. It's just a story of a concert violinist in Carnegie Hall, and somebody asked her one time, how did you get so skilled? She said, through planned negligence. I said, planned negligence? She said, yes, I just planned to neglect everything not related to my goal. I'll tell you this from the Bible and from personal experience. No one becomes pure on accident. Make a covenant with your eyes. I'm talking to women too, but men particularly. When my son was in high school and I was in a discipleship group with he and him and a couple of other guys, and we shared this verse. It became one of their life verses. And they, they worked accountability with this. This would be a good thing. And I heard them one time, one of them say to the other, and, and it was in the context, they were there and there were some girls there. And uh, one of the guys asked the other guys, hey, are you jobing it? Yeah. Are you jobing it? And I watched them and they were turning away, turning away their, their gaze, not look, but a gaze. Job says this famously, I have made a covenant. You've got to make a commitment, a covenant with my eyes. How then could I not, not, not acknowledge? You look, you see, but you do not gaze lustfully. There's a covenant. Are you jobing it? Are you jobing it? Okay. That's women as well as men, but... A word to the wise is sufficient. I, I, I think that is such a, make the commitment. Now, are you always going to stand by that commitment? I hope. But don't be surprised if you blow it. We'll come to a verse that talks about that. Six, realize the seriousness of it. Sexual immorality. We're going to come back again next week, but you need to write down this verse and just meditate on this verse. 
Jesus said these words. He said, if you've got a, an eye, that lustful look, or a hand that offends you, look at the context. It's physical intimacy. He says, and if your eye or your hand offends you, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? You don't want to say it, do you? You pluck it out or you cut it off. Now, was he saying literally to do that? Eey, that's kind of gross. Because if we really, really were literal, I mean wooden literal, we'd have a pile going out the door at the end of the church. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to, you know, pile of eyes, pile of hands. No, no, because here's the thing. If you do it with your right eye, then you still got your left eye, your left hand. He was saying, you be so severe because this is so serious that if, look at this. If, this is all I'm going to say about this today. If you don't do this, you'll go to hell. Can you believe that I actually said that? Well, actually, I didn't. I just quoted Jesus. So it's serious. Last thing. Oh, th this is Hebrews 13, 14, or 4. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Last thing. Trust the Holy Spirit. God has given you the Holy Spirit and if you walk with the Spirit, guess what? Like I said a minute ago, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Focus in all you do to please God. I said a minute ago, I, 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 I would love to see and know that this is going to happen perfectly, but here's one thing that I do know. If you make the commitment, God will be faithful to do His part. And if you blow it, you confess, you repent. What did I say at the very beginning? Start all over again. Start where you are. One of the deacons in the first church I served as a pastor, he smoked. And he, he was convicted. Bud Hampton. Honey, you remember him. Probably with the Lord now, he was an old guy then, probably 40 or 50, I don't know. He seemed old. <laughs> he probably wasn't all that old. He may be around. So, Bud, if you're listening, hey, this is a great story. But, I, you know, I'd preach something like this, and he would come under conviction. I mean, he, these conviction. Do, do you understand what conviction is? Oh, man, I, want, I don't want to do this. I, and so he would come down to the front. He was one of those that would come down to the front. We don't do that much these days. But back then, you know, people would come down to the front. And they, you know, when I was praying and ending the sermon, and they would just bow down and they would be praying. And, and whenever Bud would leave, I'd say the prayer and I'd look down and there was a pack of cigarettes. He was convicted. And so he'd leave his cigarettes at the altar. I'd say, way to go, Bud. And then we'd sit around and visit, and by the end of the time when everybody left, they'd be gone. <laughs> and it was Bud. He got him again. <laughs> and he, he came up one time, and he said, oh, I just feel so. I said, look, you're moving in the right direction. There will come a time when you put them down, and you'll never pick them up. But God is faithful. He will give you the strength. And he will give you the strength. Now, if you don't know him, what was the first part of God's will for you? To be saved. If you don't know him, repent 
of your sins in turn by faith to Jesus Christ who died as our substitute on Calvary's cross. Then you can get to work on the rest of God's will for your life. Father, I thank you that you give us your word. It's rich. It's full. And uh, Lord, we're amazed by your grace that has saved us, that has set us on a new road. We're walking in a direction, those of us who know you, and we're pursuing purity. You've set us apart for that. So I pray that today we would have learned some things that will be helpful. I pray that we would put them into practice even now. And if that's not our particular problem, then Lord, whatever it is, our, our unique temptation, for we know there are many to get us to sin, that's what the enemy wants us to do, then Lord, give us grace and wisdom to see that as we pursue purity and holiness being set apart unto you. If there's anyone here today who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. So God, grant that and help us now as we get ready to dismiss from this place and we will give you all of the praise. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.